Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Episode 8 of the Future Projection Podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Ben Badler. Ben, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Not as good as Ronald Acuna, though. Not as good as Ronald Acuna. He has been absolutely ridiculous so far this year. I mean, he's always been outstanding, but it's pretty crazy just to see the... I mean, obviously, he has so many tools, and he's been a really good player already, but it seems like, you know, I don't want to overreact to 12 games or whatever, but just the quality of his at-bats this year have just been phenomenal so far. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm guessing he listened to the episode where we chose Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis above him and got upset about that because as we record this today, it's Thursday at around 12 Eastern time. So the Braves are actually playing right now uh, against the Marlins in a pretty good pitching matchup with Ian Anderson and Trevor Rogers on the bump. But um, Acuna sits on top of the war leaderboard um, above none other than Mike Trout. So as of today, at least by Fangraphs war, he's the best player in baseball. And we all decided to cut him. And by we all, I mean yourself. I mean, Josh Norris. And I, and I mean myself, we, we cut him. So do you want to revise your order? Or do you think we were just put in an impossible situation and we chose incorrectly? Or do you think it's only 12 games? Because, you know, I, I kind of want to change my order. Last week, you said you wanted to flip lighter and rocker. And you know what? At the time, my, my heart always tells me Acuna, but I think I listened to my head a little bit. I listened to you guys talk about Soto's plate discipline and Fernando Tatis being the infielder. But, so you're going to blame it on us? Yeah, I'm going to blame you guys for peer pressuring <laughs> me into making the wrong choice. But no, it, it, it really is impressive. I think the one area, I don't know if we talked about this. I'm, I'm sure we did. The one area that you could really nitpick Acuna was in the, the strike zone discipline area, his, his strikeout rate, um, his chase rate out of the zone. I mean, we were comparing him to Soto and that's a really tough comparison. Most players in the game don't have the kind of elite uh, discipline and, and strike zone discipline that he has, 
I think most but, players in like baseball history. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But but this year, like you said, he's made a pretty tremendous improvement just in terms of laying off pitches out of the zone. He's swinging and missing less overall and specifically against breaking and off-speed stuff. And I think as of today, he has the hardest or he has the best percentage of hard hit balls. So 95 plus on baseball savant. It's like one out of every three swings he's taking results in a ball that's at 95 plus, which is the best in baseball. So he's just insane. And honestly, if this, if this zone, if this new plate discipline is sustainable, if this is like a new norm for him, I mean, I don't really know who's going to be better than him in baseball. You basically have Juan Soto-esque offensive production with Ronald Acuna's supplemental tool set. I'm really curious to see how long this holds up, if pitchers kind of figure it out, if he's just off to a blazing hot start, or if this is a new normal. But it's been pretty tremendous to watch so far. Yeah, I think I will... If we're talking about this year, I will change my answer and I will cut Fernando Tatis Jr. And yeah. I will keep. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, like the whole point of that exercise was to take three of the best young, probably the three best young superstars in the game mm-hmm. and, and do it that way. But but yeah, I mean, like he has more extra base hits than strikeouts. He almost has as many home runs <laughs> as he has strikeouts this season obviously it's it's early i think we'll see some regression to the mean to to some extent but i, I think you know we'll i think some of it is looks like real improvement i i also love too the he hit a it was like a ground ball to shortstop it was just a routine ground ball oh hustles it, out. it was a well it was a well hit ball too it wasn't like a dribbler it was hard hit yeah no yeah it was it was pretty solid <laughs> contact and then you know you're like you're watching it on tv or you know i didn't see it live but just watching the the video of it uh, didn't just look like oh that's a normal ground out to short stop and he just hustled and and beat it out with just a combination of of speed and and hustle down the line it's it's really it's really impressive to see what he's done and i mean again like he's only 23 years old this is usually we see players peak in their mid to late twenties. It's, it's that combination of, all right, you're, you know, you're still in your, your physical prime, maybe some of your speed, you know, is, is going to degrade, you know, by a step or two, by the time you get to your late twenties, but your, your strength, your, your athleticism, the, the, the quick twitchiness that you have, as a player, it's it's for the most part still there and, and, and at its prime at those age, and it's combining with your your knowledge as a hitter is just going to be greater when you're in your you know your mid to late twenties and and you have several years of of experience under your belt compared to when you're your, in your early twenties. So it's it's kind of scary how good he's been already and how much better he still might get just as he gets more experience and then. You know, maybe maybe it's a little bit fluky, or you could say early on in in the season. Obviously, you know, nobody expecting to hit over four hundred the whole season or anything like that. But I, I do think we're that that's you know that that stride with his plate discipline, pitch recognition, um, ability to cut down on on his strikeouts is something that can just be a, kind of a natural part of his maturation 
as a hitter as he just gets older and, and gains more gains more experience. Yeah, definitely. He's probably been, I mean, the player to watch in baseball to this point. I guess there have been a few other really impressive performances. Akil Badu, Hermine Mercedes, uh, Carlos Rodon threw a no-hitter last night. So that was, that was pretty decent. fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've had two no-hitters already, which I don't know how, like going back, it, it, how rare that really is, but it seems pretty impressive. Um, but another hitter who's been off to a pretty outstanding start, who is a little bit further on in his big league career than Acuna, and who, if you take off the qualified filters on leaderboards, he shows up as the number two player in baseball in between Acuna and Mike Trout. That is Byron Buxton. And Ben, I know you really liked him when he was coming up as a prospect, but it seems like at least through his first nine games, he's really figured something out. He's hitting almost 500 with a 528 on base percentage, slugging over 1,000. Um, and he's sitting with 1.2 war after just nine games. Um, what are your thoughts on what Buxton has done this year and kind of what, what are your thoughts on him just going back um, as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, when he, when he was coming out of the draft, I mean, he, was, he was the number two overall pick. And he had everything you, you want to look for in a high school outfielder at the top of the draft. Uh, if, certainly if he was in this draft, he'd be the top high school outfielder. I, I think we'd be talking about him, you know, so like at the time up there with, you know, Jordan Lawler obviously can, can play shortstop, but I mean, Buxton has all, all, all the tools and all the quick twitch athleticism and, and size and, and physical projection that you were looking for at the time, uh, elite runner. He was, a uh, you know, plus raw power. He, he could throw a pretty simple swing. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of bat speed. He, he hit well and he, and he always hit well throughout the minor leagues. Obviously we ranked him extremely high on our top 100. I mean, number one overall prospect, in the game, I think he was number two overall. Yeah, we uh, had him uh, number one in 2014, and then he was number two in 2015 and 2016. And he was a three-time Twins number one prospect from 2014 to 2016. So, yeah, I mean, and we've seen it in flashes from him in the major league. Certainly on the on the defensive side, everything has been as advertised, way, way above average defender plus plus defense gold glove will go yeah gold glove winner uh one year but certainly gold glove caliber defender some of it's just been a matter of staying healthy and and just being able to be on on the field consistently i mean there was that year in in 2017 where he was you know he was a five win player he's a solid offensive performer with elite defense at a at a premium position and, and we've seen it in in kind of flashes the the last two years obviously not a great on base percentage last year it's certainly a shortened season but he you know we did see we did see power last year and and obviously the defense was you know top of the charts kind of defense in in center field and now again obviously this is all early on don't want to overreact to you know nine ten games but <laughs> you're seeing elite speed and power and it seems to all be clicking for him mm -hmm. in in game so if you know it 
even if if he's just in like a, a league average hitter who can stay healthy over a full season, he's going to be a, you know, a four win player just because of his, the defense that he brings in, in center field. And I think the offensive upside as we've seen in, in flashes and certainly flashing it early this season, uh, <laughs> he, he has a chance to be a, you know, a, a top 10 type player in, in the league, I think. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Like you, like you said, I think the biggest question for him has just been staying healthy. It's kind of crazy to look at his career and see that he's played over 100 games in just one season, that 2017 season that you mentioned. Um, other than that, his career high for games played is 92 in 2016. Obviously, we had the shortened year last year, but he's just struggled to stay healthy consistently. Um, and like you said, we've seen flashes of him being – an above average hitter in short stints. We've seen him be one of the best defenders in baseball uh, when he's healthy, but really putting those two together over a full season has never really happened. Um, I'm going to be curious to see like what the strikeout rate looks like this year. I think that's always been something that he's struggled with. Just looking at his like swing and miss rate this season, it seems like he doesn't have like a, a super drastic change in his chase rate out of the zone but he is making contact more in the zone and out of the zone than he has for his career and for previous seasons recently uh so maybe it's just a matter of him finding a way to get the bat on the ball more but i am going to be curious to see kind of what the strikeout rate what the walk rate is looking like as we get further into the season uh where some of these early season stats really stabilize but no it is very cool to talk about two of the more athletic and toolsy players in the game doing well to start the season. Um, are there any other players who kind of maybe not necessarily remind you of Buxton or Acuna directly just because they are such rare talents, but, but other players in the minors or in the draft or in the international market who have really exciting like raw tool sets and athleticism because when players like Buxton and Acuna are playing well or just playing generally, uh, it's an exciting player to watch for baseball. And I think it, it only helps make the game more exciting. Yeah. I think the guys who kind of come to mind again, not necessarily similar to them, but if you're just talking about some of the best raw tools in the minor leagues, I think Bobby Witt jr. Certainly jumps out for me as one of those guys. He's not the kind of, He's not an 80 grade runner like Byron Buxton is, but if you just grade out pretty much all of his tools <laughs> across the board, I mean, it, it can give him 60 power plus run plus fielder, certainly a plus arm. The hit obviously is, is the most difficult one to project, but all signs or, or I shouldn't say all, but a lot of the recent signs are, are very, very, promising with what he did last year at uh, alternate site and and this year obviously in in spring training and hitting some pretty monster home runs too so he he would be one of the I, th I think it's pretty safe to call him one of the toolsiest players in the minor leagues and and then Jason Dominguez probably would be the other one where it's kind of hard to put him in that group yet I'd obviously like to I obviously would like to get some recent updated looks on him. Again, the Yankees didn't bring him over 
last year for spring train or excuse me for their alternate site which very understandable 17 year old kid um there were only a couple of those in at the alternate sites last year and then they didn't have a they were one of the only two teams that did not have an instructional league last year but just as far as the raw tools it's it's well above average speed uh, if you're very conservative, you give them a 60 arm, you can probably give them a 70 arm. It's just, uh, explosive again, not that big or not that tall, I should say, but <laughs> a really strong muscular, uh, super explosive athlete. He has big, big power from both sides of the plate. And I think he's going to hit. We'll see. Obviously, we got to wait until he gets into some real games to have more confidence in that. But just those two guys are are the types of players where you hope everything clicks for them because the tools that they have, both offensively and defensively, are, are just so exciting to watch. Yeah, I think those are the two that are come to mind for me as kind of like the most obvious in, in the sense of toolsy players. I think I've mentioned this before. I don't know if, if it's been on this podcast or not, but those were the only two players in our handbook that had 60 tools or better across the board. Um, at least from a hitter perspective, there are six players in total that we had for last year's handbook, or, or I should say this year's handbook that had 55 or better tools across the board. And one of the players that just jumped out to me immediately on the list and kind of made sense was Garrett Mitchell, mm, who was going to bring him up. Yeah. He was easily the toolsiest player um, in last year's draft class. And I think he, I don't know that we have as much confidence in his hit tool um, just because of some of the question marks about approach and elevating the ball and hitting the other way with impact but I do think he has pretty outstanding pure bat to ball skills. Um, I'm really excited to see what the Brewers are able to do with him over a full season in the minor leagues. I'm really curious to see what he's like in a pro environment. Um, I know he's spoken in the past about how at UCLA, he was, he was not necessarily trying to drive the ball out of the park or even drive the ball as hard as he could regularly it was more about using his speed getting on base using his bat to ball skills maybe slapping the ball the other way um not to say that he can't do that in pro ball it's still going to be useful for him to spray the ball the other way and use that 80 grade speed he has out of the left-handed box to get on base but all the scouts that we had talked to during the draft process talked about his plus plus raw power um and, and the questions about that not showing up in game was it a matter of an approach issue that was intentional? Is it a matter of his swing is just not the sort of swing that is, that will lead to in-game power? Is it, um, is it a skill question where he's, he's able to do that in batting practice, but once he faces live pitching, it's, it's more of a struggle for him because even going back to his high school days, he did not hit for a lot of power in game. Uh, that was one of the bigger questions with him. Everyone saw it going back to his high school days. He's been a guy who's tinkered with his uh, mechanics offensively all the time. He's been a guy who's tended to roll over on balls at times when he's not in a groove. But 
if he is able to kind of translate that pure hitting ability, that pure, I shouldn't say pure hitting ability, that pure bat to ball skill that he has into a swing that works for him and helps translate that raw power that he has into game. I feel like he, he has a chance to be one of the more electrifying players in baseball. Like I said, he's a top of the grade runner. Um, he's got a chance to be a plus defender at a premium position. He's got a plus throwing arm to go along with that. Um, so yeah, he, he's one that I would add the three other players. Um, and we can dive into them more if you want, but the three other players who at least have 55 tools across the board, um, are drew waters with the Braves, Luis Matos with the giants and Hedbert Perez with the brewers. So kind of cool to see the brewers getting two players, um, of, of that kind of caliber of tool set on this list. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of those other three or, or Mitchell? Yeah, Perez Perez is interesting. He's yeah, 2019 international signing from Venezuela. We talked about how or I just talked about how there were, you know, obviously it was understandable the Yankees did not bring Jason Dominguez over to alternate site last year, but the Brewers brought their big uh, 2019 signing. He actually didn't even get their biggest bonus, but I think it was pretty clear by the end of 2019 after he had signed, he was the best player that they had signed, which, you know, is nothing against Luis Medina, another Venezuelan outfielder they signed. It's just Hedbert Perez kind of kept rocketing up because, yeah, he's he's a really good athlete. He has power. He has a strong arm. He's he's got he's got a pretty strong physical. He's not uh, he's t- he's taller than Jason Dominguez. He's not quite as bulky <laughs> as Dominguez is, but he's not that tall of a of a guy either but he's he's got a pretty strong frame on him already for for his age but yeah bat speed power athleticism arm strength he he runs well uh certainly underway a good runner uh and i think he's got a a good swing too but uh, again just want to see him in real games (laughs) obviously before he he gets going luis luis matos yeah, I, 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 what the thing I like about Matos most actually is just his, his, his hitting ability. Mm-hmm. I think as an amateur, he really did not have great tools. I would say, uh, the Giants signed him. He was in the same class as Marco Luciano. Uh, really, really good signing class that year for the Giants. But at, at that time, Matos had a lot of bat speed. He, he was a good hitter, a good performer in games, but wasn't a he wasn't a burner runner or anything didn't have huge power but really good hitter who seemed to know this know the zone and and had had a quick bat and it just seems like his tools have jumped up over over the last couple of years which and and obviously he's performed he performed really well in the Dominican Summer League is his debut and got really good reports on his bat last year too so two two really exciting players i think at the lower levels right now i don't know if you would you put like royce lewis in that group too i mean he he just jumps out to me as somebody who's really athletic can really run and has power uh but obviously some some questions on the pure hitting ability with him but Mm -hmm. i don't know if you think his just the raw tools would match up with some of those other guys we, we mentioned. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that fits. If you, if you'd kind of take out the hit tool and think of maybe the hit tool as a separate item here, and you just look at 
maybe the the supplemental tool set and the athleticism, like you said, I, I don't think anyone doubts the athleticism. I think that belongs right here in the conversation with all the other players we've talked about. He does have power. He has great running ability. He's shown arm strength in the past. I think there's just been accuracy questions and he's had some arm slot issues. So I, I think on a tools and athleticism standpoint, he certainly fits. I think that's a good one that you bring up. It'll be, it's a bummer, obviously, that he's missing a whole year because of the ACL situation. Um, and I think for a guy like that with those hitting questions who just needs at bats, it's, it hurts to, to really see that. I mean, he's a guy who really needed those ABs. Um, I'm trying to think of any other hitters that come to mind. Um, one guy, I mean, it's, it's not the same level, like, you know, obviously Acuna mm-hmm. and Buxton are both these power speed threats yeah even mm-hmm. though buxton hasn't throughout his career shown that power in game but if if you've seen the some of the tape measure shots <laughs> that he's hit i don't think there's any question about the raw power that he has but you know cj abrams the padres shortstop mm-hmm. number 10 overall prospect in baseball he he doesn't have that kind of power i i think there's probably some more power that will come as he gets stronger, but I, I don't think he's going to be, I, I would be very surprised if he ended up like an Acuna level type power. I don't think that's, that's him, but he, he is a top of the scale runner. He also doesn't have like the, you know, it's not a Tatis junior type arm. It's, mm. it's not that kind of arm strength or an Acuna Buxton type raw arm strength, but just the, just the pure athleticism, the the running ability, and the hitting ability too. Which yeah, I'd, I'd probably group the hit tool, if you even want to call hitting a tool, is as like a, a in a separate category. It's mm-hmm. it's more of almost more of a skill for me. Yeah, than just a yeah. That's a good tool. way to describe it. I was kind of trying to get to that when I was talking, but I think the way you kind of labeling it as a skill, or at least talking about it as a skill, it is a tool. But yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Yeah, and there's so many more things that go into, you know, what would classically be defined as a hit tool mm. than just one component. The way it is with, for you know, for the most part, with just raw arm strength or mm-hmm. running ability or power. I mean, there's different things that go into yes power and a power grade but with with hitting it's it's there's a lot more complexities and a lot more of a skill component to it than there is with all right well how how fast do you run well you know one player who i just stumbled upon who it it makes me really feel like the prospect fatigue has settled in on him significantly because we haven't even really mentioned him but i feel like he definitely fits in this conversation uh and that's joe adele I mean, if you want to talk about athleticism and just natural tool set, like the extreme raw power and speed that he has, I mean, he has to fit in this conversation again, kind of like Royce, there are some real hit tool questions there, but in terms of athleticism and tool set, I mean, he would probably have to be one of the more bigger upside guys in, in baseball. Right. Yeah. No, no, no question. I mean, if you're if we're talking about, yeah, like you said, athleticism, raw power, speed, it's the speed doesn't really translate it into stolen bases. And then mm-hmm. defensively, there have been some know, struggles. <laughs> yeah. Even in, even in right field for mm-hmm. him, it, it, you know, 
it's, I, you know, coming up, I, th- I thought he'd be a center fielder, obviously not in that organization. The guy they have in center is, is pretty decent. So that's tough for him, but, but yeah, even just the struggles in, in right field were, were pretty disappointing last year, but again, he's still really young. He's super athletic, super explosive. He has the raw power and, and the speed and a good arm and he does have a history of, of performing well. So still, I, I still think he will rebound, but yeah, it definitely seems like there's some, there's some fatigue there with him. And especially after a, you know, even a shortened season last year, mm-hmm. just that rough debut in, in people's mind, that most recent look, I think has uh, maybe people undervaluing him somewhat right now. Yeah, absolutely. How about any amateur guys? We've talked a lot about um, players in affiliated ball, players with big league teams, or or at least in their farm system at this point. Are there any guys who are either coming up in the draft or on the international side? For me, on the draft side, the obvious guy I think of when I think of like tools and athleticism is Benny Montgomery um, mm-hmm. out of Pennsylvania. He's six foot four, 195 pounds, um, and might be one of the more talented players in the class. If you're just looking at a tool standpoint, again, kind of separating out that hit tool, but he's got pretty big raw power exit velocities, pushing a hundred over a hundred at times when he does sync up with, with the bat and connects, uh, he's clocked multiple 6.4 second, 60 yard times is at least a 70 grade runner has a chance to be a really, really impressive defensive center fielder. Um, and I think the questions for him is what's what's the hitting ability going to be? Because that tool set with the arm strength that he has from the outfield, with the running ability, with the raw power, all of that could lead to pretty significant upside. Um, but there are pretty significant swing and miss concerns, just general hit tool questions as well uh, that kind of count, counterbalances him. We have him in a first round range right now towards the back of the first round. Um so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. He is a Virginia commit. Uh, that school has done a good job getting pretty impressive talents to campus in recent years. But for a team who is not afraid to, to take a risk in the draft and wants to bet on some upside, he could be an interesting play. There are a lot of athletic toolsy players in this high school class, but he is one of the guys who probably is the first person that I'd point to when we're talking about this kind of player type. Yeah, yeah, he seems again, like you said, there definitely seems like there's some risk with the offensive profile, but yeah, six four elite runner, one of the fastest players in the class. And it's you know, it, it seems like there is some there's some power in there too, and probably some more physical projection for him to grow into some more power. I it, I don't think the swing is quite as mm-hmm. You know, if, if it was, if it was a cleaner, easier swing, <laughs> we, we wouldn't be talking about him at the back of the first round. Right? No, so, no. Just to kind him. of like highlight this every year, we, we pull scouting departments um, for our preseason All-America teams. And with that, we also have them select the best tools in the high school and the college class and those results. So this is just scouting directors voting on this. He was second um, in terms of best athlete behind Jordan Lawler. Uh, he was first and fastest runner, first and best defensive outfielder, second and best outfield arm, 
Um, and he didn't clock in the first three for power, uh, but the raw power is in the tank. Baez, Brady House, and James Wood were the top three best power, but I think he probably would have been um, pretty close to them in terms of raw power, at least. Yeah, Baez, too, is, uh, you know, he's not the kind of runner, Joshua Baez, outfielder from Massachusetts. He's not the kind of pure runner as, as some of these other guys we've been talking about, but another guy with some power, well, a lot of power, <laughs> and, uh, a power and speed combination, maybe center field, maybe corner outfielder. We'll see. I've seen pretty good defensive instincts from him so far, but uh, we'll, we'll see where that ends yeah. up leading him down if, the road, but definitely a lot of, a lot of power. Speaking <laughs> of bias, if, if you guys want to read more about Ben's thoughts on him, Ben had a really good scouting notebook on players that he's seen uh, in the Northeast so far this spring. And it wasn't just players in the Northeast. There was some, some North Carolina state players that made that list as well. I think actually, Ben, you might, you might have seen bias so far this spring more than most um, big league teams, even on that guy. Yeah, there's a few scouts I've seen who've been at every game of his too so far. I had to. It's they have this their schedule this year. They're playing their home games. Anybody is allowed to go there, but their road games, which I believe they played one already. There's some some of the prep schools they're playing or have a policy of no outside spectators are allowed to watch, including scouts, media, and I believe parents uh, even. So they're mm-hmm. clamping down on that. But yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, it's not like Massachusetts high school baseball has been playing as many games as, you know, kids in Florida or Georgia <laughs> or Texas yet. So it's it hasn't been a, a ton of games. Hopefully I'll get to see him again today if the rain holds off. But but yeah, it's been it's been nice being able to see see a lot of him so far. We've talked a lot about hitters who are really toolsy. Do you want to have a, a conversation about pitchers or pitching prospects who are equally toolsy? It's it's maybe a different conversation because we're looking at stuff a lot more than like raw athleticism. Although athleticism and body control certainly contribute on the mound, um, as well as for for a position player, but. I guess to start things off, how many players would you guess? And this can be a little bit misleading because I've filtered for players who throw fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. So pitchers from our prospect handbook who are 55 or better in all those categories, as well as control. How many pitchers do you think meet those classifications? So again, there could be guys who have 55s or better, but they don't throw a curveball who aren't showing up here. So it's not completely um intensive but how many players would you guess meet that classification of four the four basic pitches plus control 55 or better and these are all future projected for sure grades right yeah i think it is worth it is worth stating that generally when we talk about grades we're almost we're almost always referring to future grades unless we like come out and say right now he has this raw power right now he has this speed um but yeah, in general, when I think of grades, I'm always thinking of future grades. That that probably is a good point to mention here. So 55 pitches across the board and a 55 or better control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just how many names would you guess? And are there any players, a two-parter? How many names and are there any guys who are like, well, this guy obviously meets those? Uh, I'd bet we got probably something in the 10 to 15 range. A little, A little high. 
it is similar to the position player grouping actually it's seven total okay so one more than uh the hitter side with 55 across the board for all the, the main five tools for hitters um two who will not surprise you Sixto sanchez and mckenzie gore who are our current top pitching prospects in baseball uh after that it is four pitchers who rank in the top 40 on our 100 that's tristan mckenzie with the indians spencer howard with the phillies Logan Gilbert with the Mariners and then Asa Lacey with the Royals. There is one player who met these categories and did not make the hundred. And he is with a West coast team. If you want to try and guess who that would be a right-handed pitcher with a West coast team. So, all right. So when you say 55s across the, all right. So if, if a player, what if a player has like a four pitch mix, Mm -hmm. he has a plus fastball. He has a plus slider. He has a 55 changeup, mm-hmm. and then he throws like an occasional get me over type curveball, kind of a 45 pitch, just uses like an early count strike offering. Uh-huh. So that that player would not count. That player would not count here. So okay. he would have to have 55 or better fastball, 55 or better curveball, 55 or better slider, 55 or better change, and then 55 or better control. All right. So, so if, if there's that a player, player who like... throws like a splitter instead of a changeup, and we have it categorized as specifically a splitter, he wouldn't show up here. So I think it would be worth going to see like who are all the guys who all of their tools are 55 or better. But for this quick little search, I don't have that player. Okay. So this is a, a West a Western Division team out of yes. the top 155 projected futures across the board. They're not all 55s, but 55s are better, yeah. 55s are and better. And I can give you another hint if, if you need some more help bearing down. Is it Chris Rodriguez? Oh, wow. <laughs> Didn't even need the extra hint. Yeah, it yeah. is. Chris Rodriguez. Nice job, Ben. He, yeah, he has he has really good stuff. I don't know if, again, that's with dur- durability. We don't grade out on a 2080 scale i guess maybe we should that's important <laughs> it is yeah it'd be it, impossible know, to grade it definitely is i mean that's that's uh, and that's such a big part of obviously being able to yeah be if, a you're, if you're not on the field you're you're not creating any value so your tools are essentially meaningless at that point if you can't get on the field yeah i mean you know you can have obviously value as a as a relief pitcher but you have a lot more value as i mean what we talked about Jaden hill mm-hmm. on on, on one of our recent episodes and it's a big question mark with with him and and you know we we see it it's it's and I, and I think that's also just one of the general risks of taking high school pitchers too that's we see a big difference between the uh you know track record and, and history when we're talking about college arms versus high school arms i mean you can get really really good pitchers from high school but the college guys you know you're not seeing them throw 180 or 150 innings Mm -hmm. over a season but you do have typically three years of seeing whether they can hold up under a college workload pitching once a week for for their full season and and hopefully some some summer baseball as well, and mm-hmm. you just don't have that same opportunity to see how that high school pitcher holds up. I, there's obviously a lot of other risk factors and and 
longer term projections that you have to make with high school pitchers compared to college pitchers. But yeah, that, that durability factor is, is a big one. Yeah, absolutely. So these guys all kind of made sense to me. Another guy who who I kind of think of if we're talking about toolsy and athleticism, but on the mound is Max Meyer. So he is a guy who wouldn't have shown up in this just because he doesn't qualify for all the pitch types, but with, I think we have two seventies on him. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think we have the, the fastball and the slider as future 70 pitches. And he is one of the more impressive athletes that we've seen on the mound. I think last year scouts cited him as just the best athlete in the class overall or, or one of the better ones regardless of just splitting that into just pitchers or just hitters so he is definitely a guy that i would point to that meets this kind of toolsy athleticism um profile but on the mound i'm trying to think who, who is maybe the best athlete that you've seen on the mound is there a guy who who stands out that's just really impressive as an athlete and that can be like quick twitch strength and power or it could be just like really impressive body control i know a lot of people like to talk about how athleticism can be just like really elite body control, like a, a Bartolo Colon, who you would definitely not think of as like a typical athlete. People from other sports would probably laugh about Bartolo Colon being an elite athlete, but in the sense of body control, like he definitely would classify there. Yeah. Or like Greg Maddox, I think yeah. another guy where if you just looked at him or looked at his body type, you're not thinking, Oh, this guy's a, uh, an elite athlete <laughs> yeah an elite athlete but he's a f- i mean obviously phenomenal body control to repeat his delivery and throw strikes but the guy won almost 20 gold gloves <laughs> you can say there's some reputational factor in there and all that but he legitimately was a really really good fielder would you uh, put granky in a similar kind of conversation yeah yeah i think he's one yeah. that jumps out i mean uh, my answer to cheat somewhat i guess was going to be otani but okay yeah that that is cheating he's a different category ben come on but but yeah (laughs) but that's a great one i i I would put uh yeah i would definitely put granky in there i think he's uh he's he's an outstanding athlete especially for um for a pitcher he obviously loves hitting (laughs) (laughs) i know that and just kind of going even going back to his amateur days in in the draft, like he, he could hit, I mean, uh, he, he was a legitimate prospect as a, as a hitter coming out of high school, but obviously just such a, a talented pitcher. That's kind of worked out for him. Hall future hall of famer. Yeah. Decent career, decent career. No, that that's, that's good stuff. Um, I think wanted to move into a couple of pitchers. We, we talked about a few hitters at the big league level and I guess it's a, a fairly big league focused podcast today, or at least more big league conversation than we, than we have had in previous episodes. I don't mind it though. It's been fun. Um, a few pitchers who have impressed you this season, Ben. Um, one for me is Corbin Burns. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about guys who are using new pitches here, but Corbin Burns cutter isn't necessarily new, but the fact that he's throwing a cutter that's as hard as he's throwing and pairing it with that slider, I don't think he's walked a player yet this season. Um, but he's maybe been the most impressive pitcher for me so far this year. Who, who has stood out for you and at the big league level? Yeah. It's like, he, he like, he has like the same numbers as Jack lighter in the sec practically. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing it in, in the national league. He's, yeah. I'm pulling up his stats really quick. So if you have 
striking out half the hitters he's faced. He's not, like you said, he, he hasn't walked anybody. He's barely allowing a hit. Yeah, through his first um, three starts, he's thrown 18 innings. He has 30 strikeouts and no walks. He has allowed four hits and one earned run. And he's leading the league in ERA plus FIP whip pretty much every main category for a pitcher through three starts. So he's certainly been electric. And like, if you look at his pitch mix compared to like the league average on baseball savant, how his cutter stands out just in terms of the velocity of that pitch, I think it's like a top three velocity cutter and that's including relievers. Um, I would have to like dive into this to know for sure, but his cutter is averaging 96 miles per hour, which is insanity especially when you when you pair that with a slider that's basically 10 miles per hour slower and still in the mid 80s and looks the exact same coming out of the hand and then all of a sudden it's diving away a significantly greater amount than the cutter is i don't know what hitters are supposed to do with that that combination and he throws three other pitches as well yeah the guy the the pitcher i've seen this year who stood out for me that I've, I've really been encouraged by is a role Chapman because obviously this guy like if averages what in the upper nineties to, to a hundred mile an hour fastball, he, he does it pretty easily from the left side. He's, he's a dominant closer and now he's throwing this, splitter that's just uh like low 90s like late drop out of just like falls off the table at the end uh it, it's it's just a filthy pitch not that he needed he needed one, some more stuff you know the 99 yeah. mile per hour fastball and the mid 80s slider wasn't enough for him yeah, he's faced 15 guys. He struck out 11 of those 15. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and it's I mean, it's amazing. He's still throwing this hard at 33. I can't believe he's 33 yeah, his, already. And we'll see how this settles down again. How many how many games has he thrown so far? Uh, faced, yeah, like 15 games. batters or something like yeah. that. But his fastball velocity is 99. He's trended down the last four years, so I imagine that will settle down, or at least the last five years. In 2016, he averaged 101, and since then, it's been a steady decline, but a decline for him is 101 to 100 in 2017, 98.7 in 2018, 98 in 2019, and 97.8 in 2020. So... When we talk about a fastball velocity decline for Aroldis Chapman, it is not as if he is not working with velocity now. It's just he's getting older and he's not going to be sitting with a fastball at 101 anymore, which is going to be just fine. But yeah, the splitter, and again, going off of Savant, he's thrown it just around 10% of the time so far, but he's got a 100% whiff rate on the pitch. So anytime a batter has swung at it, they've missed. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if he will bump those usage numbers up because it's pretty dang good. Yeah, this is a guy who's averaged 15 strikeouts per nine innings over his career, and now he's introducing this, like you said, 100% whiff rate splitter. Obviously, that's not going to sustain over a full season. Hey, never season, say never. But, but you, well, 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> so, but, but to me, I, the, the, the splitter is the most underused pitch in, yeah, in major league baseball. It's we, it, if, if you grow up in the United States or, or the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, and you're getting signed by a major league club, they're not with very, very few exceptions. You're, you're not going to be throwing a splitter, right? Like Casey Mize is a definite exception to <laughs> the rule. And, and he hasn't had much time in pro ball and he's been able to just, he was able to use it so effectively in college that you're not going to draft him and take away that pitch all of a sudden, mm -hmm. but I, you know, coming up, if, if he had been drafted and signed out of high school, he probably wouldn't, I don't know. He, he might not have even thrown that pitch. Cause they probably would have, somebody would have taken him and say, no, we're going to have you throw a, a change up instead. Mm -hmm. We, we like guys that are, you know, fastball, breaking ball, change up. We, we don't want you to throw a, a splitter. And I just, I, I think it's such a, I think it's such a mistake to take that pitch away from pitchers, whether it's out of fear of, of injury and whether that's backed up by any evidence or not, but teams, major league clubs are just gun shy about having pitchers throw a splitter. And it's mm -hmm. a really, if, if a, if a pitcher can throw a good one, it's a really effective pitch, especially if, if you have a guy who's, struggling with feel to spin a breaking ball yep. or, or can't pick up a changeup for whatever reason. I mean, we, we have so many guys now who can throw 96, 98, even a hundred miles an hour. And they're probably bullpen guys a lot of times, or, or they can't even stick around in a bullpen role because they just don't have a reliable secondary pitch to be able to miss bats. I, I don't know why more teams don't teach a splitter to those type of guys, at, at least have them experiment and, and try throwing it and, and mm. see if it's able to click for them. Well, I think you need to talk to Butch Thompson at Auburn because I don't know if it's something with Thompson specifically or the Auburn program has just had a few pitchers who do throw splitters, but Mize came out of Auburn and Richard Fitz this year, who's in the draft class also throws a split changeup. Uh, it's not the caliber of Casey Mize, but that seems like a program and a coaching staff that hasn't really shied away from that. I do think that probably the concerns about injury and even control of that pitch is probably why teams have avoided it. But like you said, I would be curious to to look at some research um, to see if there actually is an increased uh, injury risk by throwing the pitch and what leads to that. Is that something that's correctable? Um, but, but again, how many pitchers would you guess throw a splitter in the big leagues? And again, this is just 2021. Um, so maybe it's not encompassing everyone just so far, but how many pitchers would you guess at the big league level have thrown a splitter in 2021 In 21? Yeah single digits and i if the, I, I would it is more than that okay it's 29 total but of those 29 
about 10 throw it less than 10% of the time. Um, the people who use it the most, Hector Neris, Alex Cobb, um, Ryan Stanek, Kevin Gosman, and Matt Shoemaker are all throwing theirs 28% or more. And I guess Mac, Max Scareller, I'm sorry, I'm butchering names here, um, has also thrown it 28% or more. And then Casey Mize and Junior Guerra are right below that. Um, and Otani is at 18%. So there are a few who throw it. But again, 29 out of all the pitchers in, in Major League Baseball is fairly low, I would say. Like if you were to do this for slider or curveball or changeup or any of the other normal, quote unquote, normal pitches, it would be a significant, a significantly greater number. But yeah, and I think a lot of those guys, it's it's a pitch they you know picked up way later on mm-hmm. in in their careers too. So maybe some of that's changing. But yeah, if if you grow up pitching in in Japan, a, a split finger pitch is is way more common over there obviously you know we saw the success that Tanaka had with that pitch both in Japan and in the major leagues if you grow up pitching in in Cuba which is why Chapman is is interesting I'm not sure if he threw one in Cuba or or not before he left when he was much much younger he threw three of them last year. I don't know if he was just tinkering with them yeah, late he, in the season, he, but he, he before that, there's nothing in the in the big leagues, at least on, on his savant page prior to that. Yeah, he, he kind of introduced it last year. But yeah, I mean, th- like a, there's a lot of pitchers who throw it in Cuba, like probably more, they, don't, they, they probably throw the splitter more than they throw, you know, a, a traditional changeup just from watching Cuban games and, and Cuban pitchers. I wonder what the reasoning for that would be, if it's just a cultural thing or if it's some kind of coaching thing that, that gets around down there. It's kind of interesting to see like why certain pitch types are more common in certain areas. Yeah, and then when they sign, the major league clubs have them scrap the splitter and go to a changeup instead because they're just more comfortable with that pitch. But yeah, I mean, look, not everybody can throw a, a splitter if, if if you throw a bad splitter it's just going to be a batting practice fastball so <laughs> it, you know you, you, I don't want everybody throwing that pitch but I, I think there, there there are certain guys it can it can work for and, and be a, a very effective pitch that just looks like a fastball out of the hand and then has that late dive and and tumble at the bottom of the strike zone to miss bats and and I think there, there's probably something of an advantage right now to throwing a splitter because guys are used to seeing sliders and curveballs and change-ups, at least at, at the major league level. And in Japan, it's it's a different story and same with Cuba, but major league hitters are just not used to seeing the the action of of a splitter. So I think there's something out of it. Now, if a lot more players are throwing splitters, then that that may change. But I, I just think it's it's an underused pitch right now by by major league teams, both at the at the major league level and, and in and in player development too. Yeah. Well, I've got another pitcher I wanted to talk about that's adding a pitch. It is is not a an unused pitch by any means in major league baseball, but Tyler Glass now, who again, as we record this podcast, is sitting at the top of the fangraphs ward leaderboard with 1.3 war through three starts. He is interesting to me because he has added a slider this year 
Um, and potentially it's going to help him avoid uh, deeper counts. Um, previously, he's been mostly a fastball curveball pitcher, and the curveball is, is a pitch with such depth that I don't think it was ever a great pitch to get strikes in the zone. It's more of like a put-away pitch for him. And so developing a new pitch that he can use in OO counts or in counts where the hitter is ahead that's not his fastball, I think really adds another wrinkle to his repertoire and potentially could allow him to uh, have his other stuff play up and just work deeper into games. So far, it's looked pretty good, and I'm curious to see if that continues for him because I don't know how rare it is for a two-pitch pitcher to like be one of the better pitchers in baseball, be an ace in baseball consistently, but there aren't many guys who I can think of off the top of my head that have done that consistently. And, and while Glasnow did have a changeup, or he does have a changeup, He's never used it more than like 4.7% of the time, just kind of scanning his savant page right now. I guess two questions for you, Ben. One, do you think a pitcher can succeed as an ace type player in Major League Baseball in the current environment with two primary pitches? Um, and after that, are there any guys who, who you can think of that have really dominated with just a two-pitch mix in a starting role? I think you you can, but it's it, it's got to be to seventy type pitches to be able to succeed like that. Um, and it's it's always better to have a a third pitch to to keep hitters off balance and and keep them ha- have something else in the back of their in the back of their mind, especially to go against you know if, if we're talking about a fastball breaking ball pitcher to have that change up to keep hitters off balance who are uh, you know if you're a right-handed pitcher to have a weapon to to go against lefties so um, yeah I think if you're if you're if you're projecting a starter you are looking for somebody who has three pitches but if, if you do have two elite dominant pitches that you know, as long as you have a usable third pitch that you're, you know, mixing in every, every now and then, I, I still think you can be a, a front of the rotation starter, but it has to be, you know, it can't just be a 55 and a 60. It's, yeah. it's, it's gotta be closer to the top of the scale type stuff. I guess knuckleball pitchers would be maybe the one category of arms where you can succeed by just going out there and throwing one pitch over and over yeah. again, but all right, Dick, you want to say, yeah. And that's another pitch. You don't really see a lot of those anymore. I don't know if there was ever an era Did we have a golden era of knuckleball pitchers, or do we just have a few come along every now and then who've, who've impressed us, Tim Wakefield, Dickie, Necro. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been like a, we need a golden era, era of knuckleball of... pitching. That would be great. <laughs> uh, but no, I just wanted to mention glass now because he's been dominant. Uh, he's added something to his repertoire that I'm kind of interested in continuing to watch. Um, are there any other standouts that we haven't talked about so far at the big league level that you want to note? Um, I feel like we've hit a lot of the big ones. Um, oh, actually I have one, but I'll, I'll go ahead and let you answer if you do have one. Uh, I mean, Jacob deGrom is still Jake deGrom. <laughs> yeah, we need to get his bat in the lineup a little more so he can get some wins. Yeah, man, he is he is just so good. I mean, his stuff is just so electric, and he needs to 
he needs better teammates, man. <laughs> he needs to help him out. DeGrom is like the pitching equivalent of Mike Trout, although the Angels have been quite good so far this year. So yeah, maybe, man, uh, I'd, I'm not, I don't care who gets in the playoffs, but I'd love to see Mike Trout just get. I would like to just see the Angels because I want Trout, Otani, who we talked about on each of the last two or three podcasts, it seems, Rendon. Like all, all three of those guys are awesome to watch all the time. And obviously, Trout needs more playoff exposure. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess, I guess two other, well, one of them, everyone's talking about the Yerminator right now. Yeah, they are. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? His, his start is unreal. I love, I love my, my, my big boy hitters, man. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of them. It's, it's impressive how he has this like real big leg kick, mm-hmm. which, which is fine. Like that can work, but it's, it's also impressive just how balanced and on time he is for a hitter with that big of a, a movement to get his swing started. You, you would think a guy like that or, or who hits like that would be more susceptible to, you know, losing his timing. And, and look, it's been 10 games and he's 28 years old and is, <laughs> you know, it's basically his first exposure to the major league. So, so maybe, teams make adjustments as we get further into the season but it all it all looks right <laughs> right now the i like the way the the swing comes through the zone as as far as the the swing playing the way he turns the barrel the path through the zone and like i said he's he seems like he knows the zone and, and doesn't swing and miss much he's he's on time even with that big movement in his swing it's it's really impressive and obviously just an awesome story to see this guy who's 28 years old coming through and being, I mean, one of the best hitters in, <laughs> in baseball so far. Yeah, right now he's leading the league in hits with 19. He's hitting 500, which leads all of Major League Baseball um, through his first 10 games with a 548 OPS or a 548 on base percentage, excuse me, and then a 281 OPS plus which just looks so stupid on a page <laughs> um, that will surely come down, but it has been a great start. Another hitter that I wanted to touch on um, honestly, just so I can pat myself on the back a little bit and feel better about cutting Ronald Acuna is, is Vladimir Guerrero jr. Um, because he was my breakout pick really deep sleeper breakout pick by myself. Yeah. Um, but I but never it, heard of this guy. it looks like it's paying off for me. Yeah, he's a, he's a little known player. Um, out of the Dominican Republic, no bloodlines or anything like that. Um, but he's a really good hitter. Uh, and I think more seriously, he was already hitting the ball hard in previous years and he's now hitting the ball in the air a little bit more. His line, I think he's hitting like a quarter of his balls right now. Um, our line drives, which seems like an unsustainable rate, but to start the year, he's putting the ball in the air more. He's hitting the ball on the ground less. He's still hitting the ball hard. Um, and that's been a good outcome for him. He's walking at a high rate. Uh, he's walking basically just as much as he's striking out and he's turning his, his kind of loud contact into more in-game power, at least early in the season. So I think it's pretty much all the signs you were looking for, for him. Um, and all of the reasons that I chose him as a breakout candidate, because he had such good underlying characteristics. And really just once he started elevating the ball more, you could really see it kind of coming together for him. And hopefully Vladdy has the type of year where we start talking about, 
him with Soto and with Tatis and with Acuna because there was a time when he was solidly in that group of, of players and they just kind of exploded and he was just kind of okay and didn't really meet the hype that he rightfully came up with. And I think now, again, he's still 22 years old. We've heard about Vladdy for, for so many years that it seems like he's older than that. But again, he's still, he's younger than Ronald Acuna and he's going to be a monster. And it looks like this could be his breakout year and I'm here for it. Yeah, that's great. I think I've been watching him now for like seven or eight years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of wild, but yeah, everybody, I, yeah, I, I think people jumped off a boat a little bit yeah. too fast last year. And it's like, dude, this guy is the same age as Spencer Torkelson. Like <laughs> he, he, there's no questions about his, his bat speed or his raw power. It's you could, you could give him 80 raw power. It's, I mean, 70, if, if you want to be conservative about it. And he has he has a great track record of hitting too. He has outstanding hand eye coordination, and he has good plate discipline. We saw that all throughout the minor leagues. Now, when he got to the major leagues, it wasn't you know wasn't I, I think he's going to be a Manny Ramirez type hitter. No, it wasn't that right away. But all of those attributes and and components are still in place for him to be that type of guy, to be an MVP type hitter. I mean, people were talking about him hitting balls on the ground last year as if it was an issue with his swing. I I don't, I didn't see that. I just thought he was getting beat (laughs) and just wasn't, you know, it was just miss missing with his timing. And and sometimes when that happens, you hit the ball into the ground. I, I think if it was just, I mean, obviously I saw a ton of him when he was in, double a watching him and Bo Bichette who's also been outstanding this year I mean it's it's awesome watching the the Vlad and Bo show again now now at the I was gonna say now in Toronto although I guess not in Toronto but now now at least at the at the major league sorry Canadians yeah now at the major league level so yeah I, I just think we're seeing just just better quality of of at bats he's he's on time again with his swing, he's, he's swinging at some better pitches maybe that, that he was early, again, like super early on in his major league career and having the quality of, of at-bats and swinging at the pitches that he was at the minor league level and laying off the pitches that he was the way he – or the way that he was doing when he was in, in double-A and mm-hmm. up through that level, so – yeah, I, I'm I'm all in on on Vlad Jr. and and Bo Bichette, man. Just, he's just so good. Those two both. It's uh, I really think between you know those guys, you know that other, you know the rest of that no, young nucleus they have in in their lineup with their young hitters along with their their farm system. I, I think it's going to be a, a dangerous dangerous team potentially. Uh, they still have to make some other moves around some of these guys, but it's a dangerous team for, for the next five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned Vladdy kind of maybe taking better pitches to hit and laying off um, pitches that he doesn't really need to be. I think one of the more encouraging, in addition to just getting the ball elevated a little bit more and still hitting as hard as he is, is the walk rate so far. His first two years in 2019 and 2020, which were again abbreviated seasons, 
Um, although he had 120 games in 2019, so not too abbreviated. Uh, but he walked less than 10% of the time. Now he's walking 17% of the time. Again, curious to see what kind of rates these stabilize into as we get further and further into the year. But if he's going to be walking at like a, I don't know where that clip would be in all of baseball. I think it's like 90, 80 or 90th percentile, that kind of a walk rate with that sort of power. I mean, he's going to be one of the better hitters in the league. He's always had a max exit velocity. That's top 1% of the league every season that he's been in baseball. So your comment about his, his raw power being an 80, like I'm just so excited about everything coming together for Vladdy. And I think it's also probably important to talk about how player development is not linear and players do not always develop the same or just come on the same timeline. We've been spoiled lately with a lot of players who have hit the ground running as very young players. And, and when I'm talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not having like immediate success, again, he's still 22 years old. So he is far and away much better than most players his age. And he had a 116 OPS plus last yeah, as again, a 21-year-old, as a He's never been junior. anything other than a league average or better hitter. And, and I just think it's it's interesting to talk about these players when you also think through kind of the hype they come up with, the expectations they had as prospects. Look at Buxton we just talked about. Yeah, and Carlos Rodon, who just threw a no-hitter. It's not just it's not just hitters, but especially pitchers, I think. These guys are going to go through a lot, and they're going to adjust. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get back. And they're going to be healthy. They're going to tweak their approach. They're going to tweak their arsenal. They're going to change their mechanics. I mean, it's a constant, it's a constant process to having success at the big league level. And just because a player doesn't come up and play like Tatis did or like Acuna and Juan Soto did does not mean that we need to write them off. Maybe I'm preaching a little bit too much here, but I, I think it's just worth giving some players a little bit of patience um, before we write them off or just discount them entirely and just acknowledge that players can change and they will change. Yeah, well, we see, and we see too players come up to. You see it sometimes when players come up to the major league level, where they just, you know, I'm not saying necessarily Vlad did this himself, but they just try to press. They try to do too much. It's it's yep. a different environment. There were, well, <laughs> probably an understatement. A, a very high expectations for Vlad and a well, very bright spotlight on him from from a very young age I mean when he came to the big leagues so we see that when guys get to the major league level we see that when guys get to professional baseball for the first time or, or Latin American kids coming over to the United States for the first time and, and they're in a totally new environment they're they're around new coaches who they don't know haven't seen before and and it's they almost treat it like it's another tryout for themselves and and they just try to do too much to show power or do do something to to show that they belong rather than stay within themselves stay within their own game I mean I'm really curious to see what Jason Dominguez does this year with with the Yankees, I, I have really high expectations for him. I you know I also don't want people to like, <laughs> you know, 
totally panic if his first seven games out are not uh, if he's not hitting 430 with you know two home runs. So I I think that happens and we see it in in the draft too, where guys I mean there's even a name for it, right? Like draftitis, guys get it and in their draft year where they're just they they press and and try to do too much to try to improve their draft stock or or they hear about a a weakness that they have oh this guy doesn't you know the scouts want to see this guy hit for more power so all right their swing starts to get longer because they're trying to sell out for power in games to show that they have power uh, and, and try to artificially manufacture that power and it, it ends up just hurting them. So we, not just at the major league level, we see it all the way down through to the amateur level where, yeah, sometimes that happens. And then, all right, well, yeah, sometimes it is a, a red flag for a player and, and, and they end up going backwards, but sometimes it's just a, a temporary thing and, and they're able to get back into themselves and get back into their strengths to, to what got them to, to that point. Yeah. Another player who comes to mind, who has struggled to start out the season, who is a very prominent prospect is Christian Pache with the Braves. Mm. Um, They actually just put him on the injured list, I think because of a groin injury. Um, But through 11 games, he struck out 13 times and walked once uh, and was hitting 133, 161, 200 and looks completely out of place right now. Uh, And I think it's very easy to freak out and think that he's just not going to be a hitter of any capacity at the big league level. But again, this is a very young player who missed a significant amount of a a typical development time last year. Um, I'm pulling up his minor league stats right now, but he doesn't have a ton of time at AAA. He has 105 plate appearances at AAA in his entire career. Um, And then missed last year because of COVID got brought up late in the year for the Braves for defensive reasons. Um, And now kind of entered the year as the the starting center fielder for the team and has really struggled. Um, That's not to say that Christian Pache is not a good hitter, but maybe he still has a a little bit of development to do and needs to refine some offensive things. Uh, And I think it can be tough with, with players who have, a lot of value in a glove at a premium position. I think you've seen this with a number of players, maybe even uh, I know Matt was talking about kind of like a Byron Buxton Pache comparison, not directly as players, but guys who struggled at times, but got brought to the big leagues because of the value they could provide as really gifted defensive center fielders. Um, And I'm excited to see what the approach change or what the, the tweaks are that Pache um, kind of does as, as he struggled to see if he can figure things out. Um, yeah, I think with Pache, th- this is a tricky time of year because it's we're 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 all in such small sample size territory. Yep. And Again, it's, it's yeah, thirty plate appearances, which is nothing. and it's yeah, it's it's so easy to kind of fall into the trap of saying all right well if if a guy is struggling and i thought he was gonna struggle well that's just more evidence that i'm right versus if it's the other way around he's he's struggling i thought he was gonna be good well all right well that's just you know a small small sample it's it's so easy to confirmation bias have our yeah have our minds twist 
these small sample sizes, especially after such a shortened uh, major league season last year and no minor league season to just have our brains twist the data and the performances to make ourselves think we're right. I, I, <laughs> I do personally, I mean, look, I, I like Christian Pache. So having said all that, I'm going to, you know, jump into the same confirmation biases of myself. Um, <laughs> I, I do like Pache. I, I do have some more questions, I think, than probably the rest of our, uh, the, the BA oh, staff. I think I'm with you. Does? I think he, on our, on our personal list, me and you both had Pache lower than other people on staff. I, I, I think there's some chance he's more of like a, a Jake Marisnik type player, which is still, again, really good elite defensive center fielder who even if he's putting up a you know league an offensive performance you know if we're talking about wrc plus ops plus in the you know over in the 80s or nine like low 90s with that kind of defense in center field i mean jake marisnik was still a, a pretty consistent to win type player like a, a league average player even with not good offensive numbers just because he is playing I don't think Marisnik ever won a gold glove but he played gold glove caliber type defense so I, I, but he was a very aggressive hitter did not walk a lot there was a little bit of power there um, you know as he got into his later 20s but really the the value for him was being able to just hit enough while playing elite defense at a premium position now is that a top 10 overall prospect in baseball uh, probably not it's probably you know that's why I have him lower but I I think I, I you know even if he turns into that type of player that's that's still a pretty valuable what do you, player to have what do you think about a Victor Robles comp and I think Pache has more strength than Robles but I I bring it up because I did the Nationals list when Robles was the Nationals top prospect um and there are maybe some similarities that you could draw between those two as well yeah I I, I could see it on the on the defensive side two guys and yeah i mean robles kind of went back i think he just got a little bit too big and heavy last year and it just kind of got away from his his strengths i don't know maybe just hearing about his exit velocity numbers made him want to change that mm-hmm. um I, I i don't know what exactly the reason for behind it but yeah i mean he he could be i i still think robles has more offensive upside than what he's shown to mm-hmm. date in his career, kind of going back to what you were talking about before. It's not okay. Players all get better by their mid to late twenties and it goes up gradually step-by-step step every year. No, it, sometimes guys take a big leap forward and sometimes it, it, you know, they stagnate or, or, or go the other way, mm-hmm. uh, but then can keep getting better after that it's not always linear like you said all right uh with that i think we're going to take a quick break we will be back uh in a second thanks to everyone who has listened uh to the podcast so far 
And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us, everyone. Um, we're going to jump into a few listener questions, as we always do uh, at this segment of the pod. Again, if you want to send us any questions, you can at Future Pro Pod on Twitter. Uh, we check that feed pretty much every time before we do a podcast now to make sure uh, there aren't any questions lingering that we haven't seen. So we are checking it before we record. Um, you can also follow Ben on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Badler. I think it's the same handle, right? Mm -hmm. and myself on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo, if you want to send to any of those. Uh, and you should definitely be following Ben on both of those for a lot of prospect video as well. But Kevin Pearson on Twitter asks, how much are teams trying to change diet habits for minor league baseball players, and what is realistic for what they can do? How does perceived bad diet habits affect evaluation? Chipotle seems popular. I once did an Uber pickup for a Marlins prospect from Chipotle to bring to the ballpark. Um, well, Chipotle is awesome and it is popular and it's an 80. So you're right, Kevin. But um, Ben, do you have any thoughts on, on diet habits for minor league players? For me, just general thoughts without knowing, being an expert in it and just kind of knowing generally what people know. I think it's crazy that teams don't like put more resources behind making sure these players are getting really good nutrition. And I think maybe we're seeing some teams kind of go more towards that, but it doesn't seem like it is the norm by any means at this point. I definitely agree that Chipotle is the, uh, the go-to for, for... I mean, this, this is why it is a fast food 80. It is fast food prices for healthy, generally healthy food. You can get filled up on it and you, you can, it's just, it's just great. I don't know. I got a, I got a burrito, a, a double meat burrito the other day. They charged me like 14 bucks for it or something like that. Cause Ooh. you got a double meat burrito. You probably got the cauliflower rice too. added queso and guac. Come on. No, man. no, no. Just, I, I don't <laughs> What's get your any order. Of the, what was your order? It was just a, a regular burrito with, with double, I think it was double barbacoa. I think the first time I went to Chipotle with you, you got a bowl and it was just white rice. No, with like double oh, chicken. You did think it's somebody else. I don't go for the bowl. <laughs> I swear you got a bowl. Maybe I, I it was won't a take this. I'm but not going to listen to this you, slander. You basically just got, <laughs> if it was a burrito, if it was a burrito bowl, either way, you basically got rice and I think just double meat. And that was it. <laughs> no, I throw the, I throw the cheese on there. I'm not, I'm not. It was a very plain eater. bowl. There was no bowl. I, 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 okay, I'm not it was a very, listen. it was a very plain uh, burrito. Then. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to this. You got to put it, on it, some, some lettuce, get some veggies. All know, right. Get some, well, get some I'll, Pico I'll take, in there. I'll take that. I am, <laughs> I am, I am a, I'm a basic burrito guy. How many but times I, would you say you eat Chipotle when, when you're traveling? Cause when I travel, I seek it out. And I think even I'm, when I'm not traveling, like my girlfriend gets mad at me because I go to Chipotle too much and she's like sick of it always because I'll go. I mean, a few weeks ago, I think I went three times like three days in a row and had no problems with it. If I'm just home, I, I don't go. I, I very rarely go get Chipotle. But if I'm on the road in the United States for for a game, then yeah, it, it's a combination of just, you know, when I'm on the road, I'm just trying to work constantly at games uh, and then get back to my hotel and edit the video, catch up. And work on. more things yeah and, and work so just having the app and convenience of it and the and the reliability of it and their footprint everywhere how do you think is, we can get chipotle to sponsor this podcast actually we need to make that happen yeah i don't think uh i don't think 
I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's a very, it's a very popular food or a very popular reason for the same reason. I think for a lot of uh, players, you can just get a ton of meat and calories in there at once, uh, either before or after a game, you know what you're going to get when you're traveling on the road, the prices maybe going up, but it's, it's pretty reasonable for a quick type of meal um, and you can kind of control what you're getting macronutrient wise relatively. So um, I think, yeah, I think when you're, when, when you're in like the Academy in the Dominican Republic, I think that's the, in the English class, that's probably one of the first things they teach you was your Chipotle order in, uh, in English. Cause it seems like everybody, everybody knows. No, it's not obviously uh, true, but it's uh it's definitely a popular one, but yeah, I, I think truthfully there's the diets and, and nutrition aspects of what teams are, are feeding players before and after a game now is, is, is quite a bit better than it was 10 years ago, even five years ago at the, you know, for, for minor league players. And it, it, it depends, you know, what level, you're at but and if you know if you're at home versus on the road things are a little bit simpler at at home but um you know just going into clubhouses and and seeing the spreads that they have it's it's not obviously what major league players have but but i think it is a lot better and and healthier i I think people just think oh players just get like pb and j sandwiches after the game and maybe there's some places that you know still kind of skimp on food that way but I, I think it's a lot better than um than it used to be I see, I see much better options going in and then going into team academies and in, in the Dominican Republic like when I go down to a game especially watching like a tricky league game or or Dominican instructional league game and you know the team will say yeah like come into our cafeteria and and eat eat with us or you know if you get there early breakfast with us before and the you know the the food there again it's you know i'm not saying it's five-star dining but they they give the kids good food and they give the kids i mean (laughs) you just the the kids go up with these trays and they just pile them up (laughs) with with food and it's like oh that's how that kid went from 155 pounds when he signed to about 180 pounds, uh, you know, four or five months later, because he's able to come in here and get three meals a day like that. And that's why he went from, you know, throwing 86 to 90 to now 90, 94, because he's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's able to just pile on all this food and packing all these calories, go with the strength training and, and throwing programs that he's doing obviously alongside that. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it makes a big difference for, for these players to be able to, um, you know, to get the fuel right that you're putting into your body. Uh, Jason Kinzel on Instagram asks, is the genuine concern about Judd Fabian and his, is there genuine concern about Judd Fabian and his current performance? 
Um, I think the short answer is yes, there is concern. Uh, JJ recently had a, a pretty good piece going more in depth into Judd Fabian and Alex Benellis, who was another preseason first team All-American who we had in the first round range who is sliding because of a slow start. But I think uh, the concerns are real with Fabian. I mean, he's a guy who over his entire career in college has struck out at a 25% clip, which as JJ discussed in your draft year is towards kind of the upper range of first round hitters. Um, that 25% strikeout rate, Kyler Murray had a 25% strikeout rate. Jaron Kendall struck out at 25% rate. Um, and I think the concern with scouts is that Fabian will end up being like a Kendall who strikes out at a high rate and just doesn't make enough contact to consistently tap into his otherwise really exciting tool set. And this year, Fabian is striking out at a 33% clip through 32 games this year. So whether that is just continued struggles for him, whether that is some sort of like draft itis, like Ben was talking about him just kind of pressing to try and, and make more contact and that basically like backfiring on him. I'm not sure, but there were concerns about his swing and miss against breaking and off-speed stuff from scouts prior to the season. Early on, he showed that swing and miss against breaking stuff. He has hit some of that stuff um, over the fence for power in-game, but he's also lately been struggling against fastballs up in the zone. So I think at this point, it's just general contact questions with Fabian. Um, he is very young for the class. He's the youngest hitter. He's the youngest college hitter in our 300 at the moment. Um, so perhaps some teams will be willing to give him some, some grace there because he's younger um, that maybe they wouldn't with an older player. I'm not sure. Uh, I do think pretty much across the board though, teams are concerned about it because if you look right now, he's hitting 228, 331, 520. He does have power, but a 228 hitter going in the first round seems crazy um so yeah the, the concerns are real it's just general swing and miss concerns he is a very good defensive center fielder he has really impressive power to all fields but if he's going to struggle against stuff in college like you have to wonder when he's facing better pitching at the next level how is that strikeout rate going to look then so i think teams are very concerned about it and kind of what fabian is able to do the rest of the way will be very very important for him uh, like if he can make an adjustment, whether that's mechanical, whether that's um, just getting the bat on the ball more, I'm not sure what it's going to end up being, but it, he's a very tricky one to peg at this point. And I imagine he'll continue to be, to be that. Ben, did you have any thoughts on Fabian or do you want to move on? Yeah, I would not feel comfortable taking him with a first round pick in, mm-hmm. in the draft this year. I, um, unless something changes, I, I would be, mm-hmm. Maybe not shocked is right. I, I, I would I would I would be surprised if somebody took him there. If if the draft you know was today, um, you know the J- Jackie Bradley Jr. didn't strike out to the same level that Judd Fabian did when he was in college. Um, he was. Like a supplemental first round, if I pick if I remember right. But he, you know, it was also not very loud offensive performance from him, and it, it obviously got better once he got into pro ball. Obviously, another guy with really good defensive ability in 
center field. So I, you know, I don't want to totally write him off. I think the opportunity cost for me would just be too great to take him in the, in the first round after that, you know, I, I think he could certainly fit in somewhere into the, uh, you know, top, top few rounds, but yeah, it's the, the strikeout rate is, is definitely a pretty big red flag. Other than, I mean, Sal Frelick is obviously hitting well, but not a lot of other like big, big college outfielders taken off this year. No. And college hitters in general, <laughs> it's a tough year. It's a tough year for the college bats. Uh, but we have a question about a different draft demographic, a high school pitcher. Carson Miller on Instagram asks, what are your thoughts on Maddox Bruns? I think if Maddox Bruns was in a draft 10 years ago, he would be seen as like a top of the first round type talent. Um, I've had scouts who told me that Maddox Bruns has the best pure stuff in the class, high school or college. And he's a left-handed pitcher. So that is pretty loud just before you get into any of the details. He's a guy who um, has thrown a fastball in the upper 90s at his best. He's shown two breaking balls that have plus potential. One kind of a downer 12 to 6 curveball with a lot of depth um, and a lot of really good finish in the mid-70s. And he's also shown uh, a harder slider in the low 80s that has power and, and a lot of late life. When all of that stuff is on runs looked like arguably the best pitcher in the class last summer. We had him as one of the top ranked high school players in the class last summer, but I think scouts very quickly realized once he got into a few more outings and got a little bit more extended that there were real questions about control and command. Um, there are questions about his athleticism and whether or not he can repeat his arm slot because of that. I know there have been concerns about him working out of the stretch and holding runners um, so a lot of those control questions kind of dropped him down boards a little bit um, because there are real starting questions now. If he's a guy who can never improve that control and command or never really repeat his arm slot, is he going to fall into a reliever role? And if you think he's a reliever out of high school, uh, it's, it's tough to take a player like that in the first round. However, this spring he has been pretty good. Uh, it's, it's tough for me to say sitting here, if the command is really taking a step forward or if it's more of a case of him just kind of overpowering hitters who are not used to seeing 97 miles per hour from a high left-handed slot. Um, and so he's just kind of overpowering everyone. That's typically the case for most high school pitchers of this caliber. But I think Bruns is a pretty extreme high risk, high reward type. And if you are a team who is excited about those players, uh, like perhaps the Padres, Maybe that's a player that you're really excited about, but I think that you're probably going to want to see a step forward in his control command and even athleticism moving forward before you can feel too comfortable, but he has pitched pretty well this spring. So I don't want to knock him too much. And we still have him ranked as solidly a top 100 prospect because of that upside. So just a matter of your risk tolerance with Bruns probably uh, going to the draft, but he's a very exciting pitcher who has just a talent that, that you can't really teach. So his feel for spin, his velocity is, is impressive. Um, next question we have here, and Ben, I'll give you a chance to jump in if you wanted to, but I don't know how much familiarity you have with, with uh, Bruns. Yeah, I think you covered him pretty well. It's, it's big, big-time stuff. Uh, the stuff took a big-time jump last year uh, from the left side, and people were, like you said, really excited about it, and then control 
presented itself as a, a red flag last summer, but more strikes this spring is encouraging. Uh, I think he'll, he'll, he'll be a high pick, but like you said, there's still some, still some risk factor with there with just the control mm-hmm. uh, and then how teams are going to view that going forward. Uh, then we have another question from someone on Instagram whose name is just a string of letters and numbers. It's CHM8969. If I want to give you credit for your question, thank you for sending it in. Um, do you feel like the Mets will be spending more money in the international free agent market with new ownership? Uh, ben, this one is directed at you. I think they, even under the previous ownership, they, they did spend money internationally. Now, they weren't one of the teams that was blowing past their bonus pools when you were allowed to do that, but they were spending two plus million dollars to sign Ronnie Mauricio to sign Francisco Alvarez. Uh, They were spending seven figures on, you know, Andres Jimenez, uh, Freddie Valdez, some other guys. And say they've had some good success stories, certainly with Jimenez, and and Alvarez and Mauricio being two of their top prospects. So not gonna say not gonna say the Mets had uh, a good ownership group before, but but they did, you know, they you know, they were given a bonus major league baseball gave teams a bonus pool and they were willing to spend within their pool. Uh and and when the hard caps came, it was it was the same. So it wasn't like they were the Baltimore Orioles who were operating in Latin America like it was 1998 and as recently as 2018 or 19 so um I I the the, the I mean at this point it's it's a hard cap every team has like in the 5 to 6 million dollar territory for a bonus pool and then teams are mostly spending their pool money and and the Mets are included in that. Now this current signing period that, you know, was supposed to start July 2nd last year and got moved back to start January 15th. This year we have our, all of our international reviews are up, including the Mets. So we have over 200, maybe 250 scouting reports on all the, big players and next level guys and, and sleepers from each signing class. So you, you can see in the Mets report there, there, there wasn't like a big, you know, $1 million type and up signing this year. I think they went with more, more depth, which obviously a lot of these decisions have to be made way farther in advance of the signing date. So it, it was hard to know this maybe at the time, but between MLB cutting down on the number of minor league teams you have and also the pandemic killing the 2020 season, which means you have a whole group of 2019 players who you signed who have not played a game yet. So even if you have two DSL teams like the Mets do, like a bunch of other clubs do uh, roster space is still, and, and just playing time for these guys is still at a premium because 
You just signed a whole bunch of players in 2019 who need to play and will probably be in the DSL. You just signed a whole bunch of guys in 2000 or technically 2021 this year since January. They're all going to need to play in the DSL. You have guys who signed in 2018 who have only played one season and some of them might need to repeat the DSL and instead might just end up either getting pushed over to a complex league or just released. I mean, I think there's going to be some players who might even end up getting released without ever playing a, a professional game or, or having played very little in pro ball, which really sucks, but is just the reality of what I think is going to happen this year. So signing a, a big quantity of players, I, I think, just with obviously with the benefit of hindsight is a tough position, but, but yeah, I, I think they'll, they'll probably take a, you know, a, a different strategy going forward. They, they did because, you know, they have a new owner. So they have, you know, Sandy Alderson came in and they, they did change up who's in charge of, of their international program. So as far as, strategy and, and how they approach the international market i think that will change but as far as just like the overall spending uh, you know I, I think they were willing to spend before um you know within the the bonus pools and that's you know what every team is limited to right now internationally so i i think we'll continue to see the mets do that but um you'll, you'll probably see a different strategy maybe maybe in place that they take internationally more so than changing the spending itself. Gotcha. Well, thank you for everyone who's sending questions. I think that's all we had today to get through. Um, again, keep sending those in. If you have any, we're happy to tackle um, whatever you guys want to ask us about. Um, well, I think that kind of wraps us up for today. Ben, is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't touched on or anything that you wanted to to plug uh, that listeners should be on the lookout for? No, that was, uh, yeah, appreciate all the questions, all the downloads, uh, all you guys for subscribing and commenting and, and sharing uh, with us on, on social, your guys' thoughts and feedback. So, um, yeah, we're just going to more games, more, more draft coverage coming up. We got a couple big stories up today on the site. And we'll keep updating our, our rankings. And then the minor league baseball is coming back soon. So lots of lots to look forward to. Yeah, really everything's gotten started except for minor league baseball, man. It's been it's been uh the most kicked by this COVID pandemic. We've got amateur ball going, we've got big league ball going. We just need to get these minor league guys playing again. Um, can't wait for that to get started. But yeah, kind of like Ben was talking about, just nothing specific in mind to plug other than just continued draft updates. Uh, we'll keep doing the podcast every week. Um, and again, like, like Ben was saying, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to all the BA subscribers, anyone who's subscribed to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Um, if you have not yet and you feel so inclined, you can give us a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts that still does help us, even though we are approaching our 10th episode, double digits is going to get here sooner than, sooner than we know it. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been episode eight of the Future Projection Podcast. For Ben, I'm Carlos. We'll see you next time.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.